everyone, and welcome to another edition of Turn Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by it in a major way. And today on the show, huge guest, Peaches, a.k.a. Meryl Nisker, is on the show. And this is going to be a, a short but a fun conversation with a Toronto music icon. I am here with two special guests, hosts. My friends Camden Hi. Abraham and Dorian Abraham. Do I say? And why are you guys here? Uh, because because no. Peaches is your friend's aunt. Yeah. That's right. So there's a familial connection and a friendship connection. We'll get more on that in one second. But first, yeah. <laughs> get in touch with me. Hit up the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That and the Twitter page, or sorry, the Instagram page, at turnedoutapunk, and the Facebook page are all run by my brother and show producer, Tristan Abraham, and your guy's uncle. And he will get the message to me. You can also find me, okay, we can play that. It's going to pick up on the microphone. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram, at left for Damien. If you want to support the show, tell all your friends about it. These guys are hyped. They're they're. they're Starting to party in the background. No, we're fighting oh. each other. Oh, you're fighting each other in the background. And uh, and if you can also head over to turnedoutapunk.com and pick up a t-shirt. And thank you to everyone that has done that. Very much appreciated. I play in a band called Fucked Up. For more information about them, head over to fuckedup.cc. <laughs> and that is it. All right, on to today's show. Today on the show, Meryl Nisker, a.k.a. Pe- Peaches. a As I said, Toronto legend. Yeah. You guys have heard some Peaches music. Mom and Dad play that from time to time. Yeah. <laughs> and every time we do, we got to watch out because there's some some grown-up language there. Some grown-up yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, and what... Do you want to give a shout-out to your buddies on the show? Yeah. Say shout-out to Hunter and Apollo? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> give them the shout-out, guys. No, you. <laughs> shout-out to Hunter and Apollo. Yeah. peaches will be kicking off a anniversary tour for the classic teaches of peaches uh album you can find out more information at teachesofpeaches.com for all the tour dates that are coming up and that is kicking off this (laughs) this week uh all right i don't think uh there's anything more left for me to say yeah sit back relax and yeah and enjoy peaches <laughs> on Turned Out of Punk. Yeah. <laughs> peaches, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hi. I'm doing great. This is a, a huge honor to get to talk to you because I think, you know, uh, growing up in Toronto, I, I walk in the uh, footsteps. Wait, of say it as you're supposed to say it. Toronto. 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 Yeah. <laughs> but growing up here, I feel like I, I walk in your the footsteps that you kind of put down, you know, and I think as a performer, especially as a performer who tries to put on a, a bit of a show, you know, you kind of set a high bar for all of us to follow in. So uh, it's a huge thrill to have you here. I like to say that you follow in my hot pants. I definitely, I wouldn't look as good in them. I, I, I'm afraid I, I have no ass. It's, a, it's not it's about a, that. It's not about that. I, that's true. I could I could definitely fill them out with thighs. I've got the thighs to fill them out. There you go. Uh, uh, but I wanted to start this off the way they all start off, which is, Peaches, how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? I, oh, uh, 
Yes. Sorry, how did I get into punk? Uh, or just the first time you heard about punk? it? Why that's the first time I heard about it? You know what? It was probably the new music show because it was like this. It was so amazing that Toronto um, had this incredible new music show. It's like pre MTV, and they would just highlight awesome punk people. And it was Jeannie Becker and um, J.D. Roberts, who's like, so what is he, like Fox, Fox News, News now, now or something? Yep. Sadly. It's so crazy to, to see him and go like, whoa, who are you? <laughs> so those are, I think those were the two originals. And, um, yeah, that's where I heard about, like, um, first of all, who blew me away was, like, um, and, I mean, she's punk forever. Maybe the music is not, you know, your typical punk, but. Um, Nina Hagen. It was just mm. like, what is that? What is that? She just came on and she was like, I found God my way through acid. Blah. She was just like, <laughs> you know, with all this different color hair and shaves and just like singing in seven different octaves, but somehow it wasn't, um, it was very raw. And it was so, what an incredible experience. Or, or like the dead Kennedys, you know, and then hearing of hearing these political words that were just like powerhousing through and like being like yeah wow you know or just literally yeah hearing about the sex pistols like the clash you know that's how old I am it was really like wow what are these things <laughs> you know but it also didn't seem it because you didn't hear that you know you heard the clash on the radio but you didn't hear all these things on the radio, but the, in, in the new music would play it. So it was very, very progressive. Well, yeah, that's fascinating. Actually some, well, something I wanted to talk to you about, because the first time I ever heard you was on Much Music with Sookie and Lee on The Wedge, like super, super early on. And it's amazing how- Was that when I was in a bathtub? Yeah, yeah and Feist is there too. Uh, you introduce yeah. her at one point, and it's, it's like- uh, it's, it's amazing how like TV in Toronto was more progressive musically than the radio at, at most of the times and like would feature artists that the radio would never touch, uh, at, especially early on in their careers. Yeah, you know, it's because um, I'll just say this and I say it all the time, which is so interesting because, um, you know, one of my uh, biggest influences was Carol Pope mm -hmm. and, you know, maybe it's, it's not something you talk about on your punk show, but um, to me, it it was such a it was such a an incredible lesson in queerness. Like, who is this person, and how come I understand them in in so many spectrums of as a human, and you know, and and um, why don't I see more of this? And then there was like a hit song called High School Confidential which was about her lusting after another woman in high school and how the principal was after the same woman. But um, there's this line, you know, in the song that says, it makes me cream my jeans when she comes my way. And that was left on the radio. So when I heard that, when the song originally came out, I was sing along. Years later, radio realized, oh, whoops, I guess that's, not you're not allowed to say that on radio i remember hearing it years later and it was like it makes me my jeans and i was like oh 
Wow. Lucky me. They didn't even catch that. Could have changed everything for me. You know? <laughs> That's how unhip Canadian radio was, that they didn't even realize what cream your jeans meant. That's no, that's how, how hip they were. They were probably like pressured by every, everything else. But <clears throat> I guess we also have to, which is straight, you know, the whole Moses Neimer um, faction where it was like owned his, uh, I guess it was like a privately owned um, media station, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Where you, you had like the, um, you know, which what was the most punk show that's like now would still be the most, raw reality show is speaker's corner absolutely you yeah. know it was it was a way to it was really funny it was like you know i'm sure people have a lot to say but or they're like i can't believe she's talking about moses nine or like whatever you think about but think about it it was like street level you paid what a loony a loony <laughs> was and it, it was loony to charity did loonies did, and they went the, the loony went to charity which was very important and you could say whatever you wanted. And they really let people say whatever they wanted. And also brilliantly cheapest show to, to produce. <laughs> yeah. But also getting in touch with where people are at and really letting them say their piece. And then it created all its own TV networks, fashion TV, music TV, blah, blah TV, which was like how media went. Mm -hmm. Like that was really forward thinking. So. I think new music just kind of slipped in on that. And that's how I, my very long winded answer came to punk music. Well, no, but you brought up so many great things there because you're right. Like speakers corner is almost like pre YouTube, you know, like it allowed you to kind of just go it on is. there. Yeah. And, and, and be, be, and people love watching themselves. Like, I think that's what Moses realizes that, you know, like for once again, for all the criticisms that could be also be leveled, but there's also this idea that he saw this thing in media that you're, like you said, no one was seeing it. Like he was 20 years ahead, 30 years ahead of people. Uh, it's like a, it's like an Instagram that gave to charity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe a more, maybe a better Instagram than in that way. Yeah. Um, I would like to recount a story just to, just to recount a story and like be very Canadian and then just kind of like go off topics. <laughs> like my partner likes to say Canadians love to give trivia that no one cares about except the other Canadians. <laughs> true. Yes, very so, true. um, I just want to say that I was a fan of teenage head. Absolutely. And, um, teenage head play, this is just so weird because teenage play, had played at Upper Upper Canada Boys College. Really? So it is weird. I, if people know what I'm talking about, you know, it was like a very like Upper Canada Boys College. You know, it was like an all boys school. But they played there, and I borrowed my brother's jean jacket so that I would look punk. So that you know, you you didn't have reference. Like that's what I, I was like. I better wear a jean jacket, and went to Upper. You know. Canada's Boys College to see teenage head play, put the jean jacket on the like auditorium seat, very nice, came back and someone had puked in my coat. <laughs> so that, I thought that was quite a punk experience. Wow, that is amazing. I had no idea that teenage head had played UCC. That is a, I got to find video oh, of this uh, show. Oh, yes, UCC. 
I know. I that, wonder if there's one. Maybe you can find out who puked on my brother's jean jacket. We'll check the videotape. If we track down this videotape, we'll go frame check by frame. Check the videotape. <laughs> exactly. Yes, it's very, yeah. It's probably like a senator now, you know? It's, it's probably like a, a head of industry now. <laughs> it is. It is. So where did you kind of go from this sort of first exposure to music? Like I heard you talk in, uh, I forget where I saw it, what interview, but you talked about Kate Bush being like the first time that you felt like you actually had your music versus, you know, your siblings music. Yeah. Well, my brother was, you know, he was listening to like the Ramones, but he was also listening to yes, you know, and it was, so it was just like, okay, all that, that's, that's a lot. If you can think about everything in between that. He also had a waterbed and in his own like light show that he created. So that was a very, you know, like um, 70s experience. And my sister was more, um, you know, earth, wind and fire and um, uh, Genesis, like old Genesis and stuff like that. So I just remember hearing Kate Bush and like, they don't know about this. This is my music. But I felt the same thing about Rough Trade, too. This is mm-hmm. my music, you know. Mm-hmm. Would Rough Trade and, and Teenage Head, would those have been through the new music that you would have seen them? Or is it once again through radio, I guess? Um, I'm not sure. I Probably both. But I think Rough Trade was through radio. Yeah. Was that Teenage Head concert the first concert you went to? No. The first concert I went to was um, at Exhibition Stadium. And uh, it was... The Beach Boys were the headliner. Journey, uh, wait, wait, Beach Boys, Steve Miller Band, Journey, Pablo Cruz. Wow, what a triple bill. Was it four bands? Quadruple weird Quadruple bill. bill. What was that? <laughs> and um, I just remember some very drunk guy stood up and was swaying and pointing at me and telling me, my jeans are older than you. <sighs> Yeah, that's a, the exhibition. And I state. saw my sister smoking cigarettes. It was very traumatizing. <laughs> Sounds like everything. Are you still a Beach Boy? Can you still listen to the Beach Boys after that whole experience? I wasn't even a Beach Boys fan. Yeah. I wasn't. It was just, I think I was, maybe I was there for Steve Miller Band, but I wasn't even there. It was just because my sister was there. And so she invited, she said I could come with a friend. Um, I also heard you talk in an interview. Uh, I think it was actually the, uh, women in rock oral history project i should shout them out because it was a great interview but i heard you talk about cool musicals and loving cool musicals and you mentioned tommy and fan with the paradise which are two of the greatest pieces of art ever made and that i think also that may be only something that that was also probably on city tv late at night mm-hmm. yes yes the same station you know where they would also have blue movies but anyway <laughs> um where yeah, they would play that those a lot. And those were fascinating to me. I mean, Ken Russell's direction, um, psychedelic direction, Tina Turner's performance as the acid queen um, and Phantom of the Paradise. Uh, Brian De Palma's musical horror film. There's some really raw moments in there where the extras take over. Like you, there's this one guy who's an extra and you know, we show him in the scene, it's really weird. But um, yeah, and and the, and also um, my first introduction to sort of like punk queerness where you have beef. Mm-hmm. Beef was, you know, 
um, an incredible character. Um, I gotta say, I know, controversial. I don't think the music is as amazing as the, uh, some of the music to me is not as great. Rocky Horror will always be better music to me. I'm sorry to say. I am a Paul Williams fanatic. Um, I, me too, but I don't think it's his best work. I, I agree. I agree with you that I think there, to me, there are like, there are some really strong songs like that beef song. And then the oh, song yeah. just no. before beef are like two of my favorite. Like, those oh, yeah, are the awesome. life and love salutation. From from me. Yeah, those two. That whole, that whole section there, which is, um, you know, the one we need a man who's perfect. Kevin and Abel. Yeah. That whole scene shaped my whole image of what um, performance was, you know, creating a man. Pulling, I've often thought about, I'm going to put plants in the audience. Not plants, but like people as plants, so I can pull their arm off here, you know. While I'm like, <laughs> I just—it's such a brilliant scene to create somebody through um, through the audience, and also the horror of it, but also the absurdity and the drama. It's so so fun, um, yeah. And it's also uh, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, like the whole the scene. You know, it's 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 incredible. It, and also, the thing about both those movies, like you said, it's it's the Ken Russell's direction and Brian De Palma's direction. Like, there's a split screen stuff that he uses in in Phantom, and then the psychedelic kind of effects, especially during the Acid Queen stuff and the fish eye, um, oh, all that. They're they're both like brilliant movies, but like that's against once again like that city TV new music kind of world where you're getting exposed to stuff that was cool. Like all this stuff is just yeah. so awesome. Yeah. Um, so where did you first start playing music? Like, I guess the mermaid cafe is your first band. Yeah, I was in, I was in other bands as singer and things like that, but um, I started playing acoustic guitar. Yeah. And that was, that was my first band. It, it kind of like, I played acoustic guitar. I had a partner who played acoustic guitar and I was trying to flirt with her and be like, Hey, you want to jam sometime? And she's like, I only play my own songs, you know? And I was like, okay. But um, then I started playing a few of my own songs. And um, I don't know if you know, Diane Flax, she's an amazing comedy writer. She, she, she uh, was part of working moms, part of the writing staff of working moms. And um, so anyway, she, she's always been a great, um, a comedian. She had a stand-up comedy um, night that she did once at um, Cabana Room. I don't know if you know what that is. It was at on King Street at Spadina. It's where the Sky Diggers used to play weekly, and then the Bare Naked Ladies played their weekly. So around that time, when the Bare Naked Ladies stopped playing their weekly, they were looking for people. And um, so we opened. Well, my friend Andy D got a gig opening for Diane Flax. And I said, oh, can I do it with you? Like, let's just work out some songs. So um, we did. And then the Cabana Room owner said, hey, basically you brought a lot of people. You want to play here weekly. So then all of a sudden we were a duo. And then my friend Joseph Moon, who also, who was basically teaching me guitar and we were like hanging out, smoking pot, playing guitar, said, I, I'm part of this band now too because I taught you guitar. So we became a trio and played the next week and played there for like a year and a half. And so uh, 
we became Mermaid Cafe, taken from a, the Joni Mitchell song, Carrie. Did you ever record with Mermaid Cafe? Is there any demos and stuff? Yeah, there is. There's, there is. There's um, a home tape. And then there's also a tape we did at Daniel Lenoir's studio, but not with Daniel Lenoir. Was it with his brother? In Hamilton. I don't know. I don't remember. Okay. Yeah. It's, <laughs> well, once again, Teenage Head Connection with Daniel Lenoir, too, doing like some of the early Teenage Head recordings. I don't know that. Yeah. Really? Him and his brother. Yeah. Him and his brother were like oh, that's the, first, the first Hamilton punk recorders back then. Amazing. Yeah. It's interesting because you brought up like the, the all these nights of the cabana room. Toronto was like a, a city of nights, you know, and, and like where you like yeah. artists would have like a night and, and it would be kind of like, like, you know, right up until, you know, I guess mod club and all that kind of stuff was going on where like these were like kind of impetuses for like scenes was coming out of these sort of like weekly happenings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did, totally. Did you ever uh do you ever play with the kids in the hall or go and see the kids in the hall? Because that stuff would have been happening around. I, I would see them at the Rivoli, yes. Yeah. Cause that was, I guess, their yeah. place as opposed to the yeah. cabana room. I also I'm just thinking about when I was underage, I don't know. This was more uh, going to the Twilight Zone. Oh, I don't know the Twilight I don't know Zone. If you know, the Twilight Zone was like um like Queen Queen Queen's Avenue. What is that? street called oh my god i'm forgetting queen street uh, avenue road oh avenue Road. yeah yeah but avenue road turns into queen's university park. oh queen's park yeah yeah queen's park university around there at queen street there was like an underage club you couldn't drink but you could like you could dance all night and we would like i mean it's not punk but we knew new romantic out go it there. connects back it connects back to punk you know there's a great documentary that there's a great documentary that Kevin Heggie from Rotate This just made. Um, uh, Kevin Heggie is my, 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 that's my son you're talking about. Well, Kevin I, I figured. my boy. He's the best. He's the He's king. He's my boy. Yeah. I love, I love Kevin um, and his new documentary though, is kind of like on the new romantic punk connection a little bit. Yes, I am. Um, I'm excited to see it. He is a, uh, he is one of the, my favorite people and just like uh, a constant kind of a, uh, I don't know, just such a fills me with joy every time that to see him do something like this. I lived, I lived across the street from Rotate This, and the first time I went in there, you know, they were very confused about who I was and what I would do, and should I? They had my album in there, or you know, at the beginning, and Kevin was like, "Yeah," <laughs> and they were like, "Oh, okay, we okay, we get it." <laughs> yeah. Um, how did the shit come together? Um, it came together because I, we, there were four, I was very dissatisfied with my band called Fancy Pants Hoodlum. I'd like to shout out that John Zosky was my guitar player, Peter Zosky's son. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, uh, so, I mean, this was after Mermaid Cafe. I wanted to like, you know, explore, um, and I, I was super happy about it because I got to play electric guitar and I was like singing all different ways, but I didn't really connect with an audience. So I was kind of dissatisfied with that. And I played a lot with this band called Spin the Susan, who reminded me sort of like a Beyond the Valley of the Dolls band. Um, and it had two lead singers and um, who were good, who became good friends of mine. And one of the singers, uh, Sticky, Sticky Henderson, um, I wanted to start an all girl band with her. So we got together and she's like, 
hey, I have a friend who lives next door who jams in his basement and I have a crush on this guy. So can we just jam with these two guys? And I was like, really mad at her. I was like, this is not my vision, but I will go and I will not talk to these guys. And I am, I, I am upset. And I went there. We went down in the basement. There were the two guys there. Um, I didn't say a word to them. They passed me a joint. We all got high. We just, I picked up my electric guitar. We all just started singing crazy shit to each other. Maybe because I was angry and they, everybody was so dissatisfied with their bands. We just started to like sing, you know, like sexual profanities to each other or just like whatever we wanted. And um, we were so excited. And after one song, we're like, okay, switch instruments. And I'd never played drums and I got on the drums and then switch instruments again. And I got on the keyboard. It was like a SH-1000, you know, it had filters and weird. And I was like, the minute before that, I was like, keyboards aren't cool. Keyboards aren't cool. That's not punk, you know? But at that moment, I was like, keyboards are amazing. This is cool. And um, after our jam, we, uh, you know, I think uh, it was Gonzalez and Maki who were the other two people. So um, I remember Gonzalez said to me, oh, you play guitar like Joey Santiago, Joey Santiago from the Pixies. And I was like, you just said the right thing to me. <laughs> like, yes. And um, and then we all just said, we're the shit. This is amazing. We're a band now and we're called the shit. And let's give ourselves new names to christen this. And, you know, that's where Sticky became Sticky. She, um, she's actually legally changed her name to Sticky now. And I was like, I want Nina Simone from the end of the song Four Women. Just literally how she says the word, how she sings the word peaches to be singing that word to me in that I want someone to feel that that passion towards me and sing to me so I called myself peaches and um thus the shit was born and actually we had we, we felt really good and I think we grew a lot and I took a lot of that shit energy more than anyone into you know developing peaches when everybody moved away and I got a a rolling groove box and decided to make it my my punk outlet well, yeah, because it's like it's amazing how, you know, where the sound you kind of arrive at, it's almost like the music that you talked about that your your sister was into, your brother was into mixed with all these TV shows that you're seeing or late great movies on city TV that you're seeing mixed with Nina Hagen. Like, it's almost like you've taken all this stuff and and synthesized something completely unique and ultimately incredibly powerful. But it's like it's amazing how you can kind of see all these threads being woven in there. Yeah, I also was very, very you know, um, a lot of early hip hop, you know, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. um, salt and pepper and like, at, and while I was and um, the Stooges and um, thinking about like the riffs that the Stooges had and how that in my mind was the same kind of thing as house music because it's just a, a riff over and over and how could that relate to each other where you use electronic sounds and, and the purity of craft work, how they don't make things so layered, how it's just really pure sounds and how it, how all, all those early craft, how all those craft work songs became basis for early hip hop tracks too. And um, how that relates and, and, 
the directness of hip hop lyrics and, you know, so fusing all those kind of worlds together in my own little punk machine where I could be all the instruments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the ultimate DIY. Mm-hmm. Completely yourself. Which was so misunderstood in Toronto. Like people, <laughs> they were just like, what do you mean you're playing with a machine? Okay. We'll put you on a singer songwriter night. Well, you know, it's funny because like Stephen Page was on from the Bare Naked Ladies recently and, you know, and obviously doing something completely different than you're doing, but like it's it's still different than mainstream Toronto. And as soon as you try and do something different in this town, it becomes impossible to break through. Like you kind of had to go to Europe to do it. Did Stephen Page tell you about our time together in musicals? No, but that's amazing. Stephen Page and I were um, in two musicals together. Um, that were written, that were original. We didn't write them. They were, one was written by twin brothers about their being twin brothers. I could sing you the songs. I know Stephen Page's songs. I know my songs in it. Um, he had like pretty big parts and um, he was, yeah, I think he was like 12. I was probably like 18. That's amazing. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't really know how old he is right now, but I know he was very young and he was really like, I'm going to be a superstar. It was really cute. But we were in musicals like at, um, like at a Jewish, Jewish synagogue. They were put on a Jewish synagogue because that was the only place we could put them on. That is some amazing rock history and music history right there. That is Yes. And the, the musical was called My Brother's Keeper. And both the twin brothers starred in it. And there was this guy, Michael Bialis. I don't know what happened to him because he was like, he wrote all the music and he was like the musical director. And you look at him, you just think like, wow, he's like from the Brill building or something. But I remember him. Yeah. And Stephen Page. I know there's probably pictures somewhere of all of us. That is incredible. Well, it, I think, it, you know, you bring up a great point. Musical theater is where a lot of people that wind up being incredible front people get their start, right? Like it's a, a very uh, incredible jumping off point for, you know, performance and, and being a performative person. Yeah, it is. Uh, this has been amazing. And anytime you want to come back on here and talk about Toronto <laughs> or punk, you know, the door is always yeah. open. Well, I I would like to because I love I love what Toronto has made me and also people who are not from Toronto get very annoyed by these conversations. They so. do. Well, I I can't believe the thing you said about only Canadians caring about useless trivia because I find myself giving people a lot of useless trivia they don't care about and maybe it's It's true. It's true. That's what it is. And we we've got to we got to own up to it and just stick together because nobody else wants to listen to it. But the last thing I want to say is, where's Eva everything? And have you ever heard of her? Because I remember hearing about her on new music and she blew my mind. No, you got it. Who? I got to look this up, I guess. I don't even know if you can find it, but she was pretty cool. She was cool. She had a song about TV. I don't know. It was weird. It was it was cool. She was kind of like our Laurie Anderson. Uh, the other day, I found a clip of Jolly Tambourine Man on the new music um, from Inglenook oh. High School, you know, with Ian Blurton and, and it just like a very, wow. weird, very weird how many b- cool things they covered on a, on a big TV channel. Crazy. All right. 
Thank you, Peaches, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Peaches yeah. will be back for a part two at some point in the near future. Yeah. Uh, coming up on the next episode of Turned Out a oh, Punk. punk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, go, oh, oh, they're taking off now. Okay. Coming up on the uh, next ep yeah. episode of Turned Out a Punk. From the band Battery, from the amazing new band Be Well, the legend, legendary music producer, and one of my favorite vocalists. I, I think this guy is incredible on that mic. The great Brian McTiernan will be on the show. Very excited for you to hear this one. It's a really fun episode and, and yeah, some wild stories. Wild stories. And we finally get a little bit further into the 90s Discord DC hardcore divide that arguably still exists a little bit today, but we'll talk about it all next week. Oh, I'm, I'm excited for you to hear it. Also, I should have mess, mess, mentioned this while my guest hosts were still here. Coming up after Turned Out a Punk, it's the premiere episode of the SpongeBob SquarePants Review Podcast. Oval Pants Dave, oh no, wait, what, what do we call it? Washcloth Dave Oval Pants is the name of the show. And that will be uh, my two co-hosts that were here earlier and I do this podcast. And we will be throwing these up into the Turn Out of Punk feed once in a while because there's a lot of episodes of SpongeBob SquarePants to watch. A lot. So follow along with us, if you will. And this will be its own podcast. You don't have to trudge through a Turn Out of Punk to get to it if you just want to skip to, you know, kids and... By kids, I include myself in that. I'm talking about SpongeBob SquarePants. Uh, and that is it for me. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives of Indigenous peoples matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and stop hate and violence towards people of different faiths and people of, of different beliefs and national origins and ethnicities and just knock all that fascist bullshit out. Come on. Get involved in organizations that are bringing about positive change and trying to affect positive change right now. There's lots. You can donate your time. You can donate your, your body. Do what you do. Uh, the podcast always, you know, it sucks that you have to keep saying this, but this podcast remains and will always be a pro-choice podcast. We respect people's rights of what they want to do with their reproductive systems. Can't believe that's still being called into question, but here we are. Here we are. Speaking about being here... Why don't you go up there and make some culture? You know, anyone can do this stuff. Start a band, start a fanzine. This is a, a, a something that thrives on your energy. This scene is 100% made better when people contribute to it. And if you see something you want to, you know, or if you don't see something you want to see in music or in art or whatever, hell, make it. Because if you don't, no one else will, right? Or maybe someone else will, and then you feel shitty because you're like, ah, oh, fuck, I had that idea. So, you know, go there and try it. Speaking of trying things, try meditating. I didn't believe in it, and it works. It does, you know, and and a lot of people know that it worked, and a lot of people have believed in it for thousands of years, but I'm a little late on the uptake. So uh, try meditation. Try also sign your organ donor cards, because organ donor cards, because by the time they come looking for those organs, you don't need them anymore. They're literally dead weight at that point. So why not give someone potentially a miracle? Friggin' miracle. All right, I don't think I have anything else. No, I think that's it. I love you. Thanks for listening, and I will see you on the next episode. I gotta go deal with that loud screaming you may or may not be able to hear. <laughs>
in the background right now. Oh, thanks for listening, everyone. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Washcloth Dave Oval Pants, a SpongeBob SquarePants review podcast. I am one of your hosts, Damien, and my other co-hosts are Camden. Do you want to say hello, Cam? Hi. And Dorian. Hi. And we are going to be talking about uh, SpongeBob SquarePants starting from the very, very beginning. And by the time we're done this, uh, Camden and Dorian will probably be my age because there's a lot of episodes. Yeah, probably. Uh, but we want to, uh, we, we are going to get going soon, but we should probably talk about ourselves a little bit first. Dorian, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself? I am a nine-year-old and I have a huge love for SpongeBob. That's why I wanted to start this podcast. And Camden, why don't you tell us a little bit of something about yourself? I'm six. And that's it. That's yeah. good. That's, that's short, short and sweet to the point. Uh, let's get into the first episode of SpongeBob SquarePants. Uh, should we have, should we find out when it's aired and everything? Yeah, it was aired in 1992, 1999, sorry. 1999, and it features uh, Tom Kinney, who uh, I became familiar with from the TV show Mr. Show, which featured David Cross, Bob Odenkirk, it's where Jack Black uh, kind of got discovered. Sarah Silverman was on it very early on. There's a lot of really incredibly talented and cool people that came out of this show. Um, and uh, also it features, uh, in the voice of Patrick, Bill... I'm not going to try and say his last name. I don't know. It, it might be... Uh, uh, Fager Bakke. Uh, but anyway, he was on a TV show called Coach when I was growing up. And he's also... Uh, one of my favorite roles that he played was as a really bad, nasty, evil prison guard on the TV show Oz. Uh, and uh, yeah, big, big fan of both of these people outside of their work in SpongeBob. Have you guys seen them? Or do you recognize these actors from anything? Um, other than SpongeBob. Other than SpongeBob. No. You want to know something I learned recently about Tom Kinney? No. He used to be a punk in high school. That's cool. Yep. There you go. Uh, the show was made by, or, or created by, Stephen Hillenberg, who unfortunately passed away a couple years ago now. And uh, He was the only person that knew the actual formula. For the Krabby Patty, right. We were talking about this a lot. Um, and this is, uh, we actually made our own Krabby Patties this week. Should we talk about that later on? Because we, we're going to be yeah. talking about Krabby Patties in this episode, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, what do you, what is this episode called, Dorian? Uh, Help Wanted, and animation directors are Alan Smart, and it was written by the person who writ writ, writ all of SpongeBob, Steven Hielberg, and Drake. Derek. D Derek Dryman. And Tim Hill. But not not our friend Tim. No. It'd be it'd be interesting if it was him. But no, this is Tim Hill, the the actor and and uh, and filmmaker and everything. Okay, but let's move on to uh, this episode. So this episode, as you said, is called Help Wanted. Why don't you tell us what's this episode about, Cam? What happens in the episode? 
Anchovies. Anchovies. What okay. It's about SpongeBob getting his job at the Krusty Krab. And yeah, there is anchovies in it. Um yeah. What was the first thing we noticed as soon as the episode started? You pointed out to me. You said Oh yeah, um the first lines were Ah, life under the sea. But and Tom Kenny did the first lines ever on a SpongeBob show. Who is the actor of SpongeBob and the narrator. And and, and Gary. And Gary, the snail. That's and right. And I think there's another thing. Yeah, many people. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and the narrator's based on Jacques Cousteau, who was a very famous underwater explorer, and uh, they, they, he had a TV show, and he would do narration like that on it. And it was very beloved by people who were older, and so I'm sure this is a tribute to that. He passed away uh, years ago, too. All right. Uh, oh, you also noticed that the drawing style was different, you said, right? Yeah, the newer episodes... Patrick looks different, Spongebob looks different, everyone looks different. Squidward's actually shorter. And there's no HD, you said, too, right? Yeah, the HD is, like, on any TV, it's not there. There's no HD. And it's, But it seems like they have the same voices. Yeah, same voices. A bit higher. A bit higher, you think, some of their voices? For Spongebob. For Spongebob, interesting. You think his voice, he hadn't found his voice yet. For Spongebob. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he wakes up in his room, but you said something about the room. Yeah, the room um, is positioned differently. Uh, it's on a different side, and I think he has a ladder in it that's not in the newer episodes. I might be wrong, though. Well, it'll be interesting to see when that happens. You know, as we watch, we can see when SpongeBob changes his room's uh, setup. Because, yeah. yeah, he moves the bo- the bed to another wall, it looks like. Maybe paints. Mm-hmm. Different color paint. Maybe that's an episode. Yeah. Uh, there's one last thing about Gary and the animation. Mm-hmm. Gary's eyes are smaller and farther apart. Oh. Okay, I didn't notice that. Very perceptive. Okay. And uh, it wakes up in a... Different looking room with Gary. Uh, we then we have the first appearance of Patrick, who, as I mentioned, was played by the actor who played uh, on Coach, which was a TV show about a football coach. You don't need to. I, maybe we'll maybe we'll do a podcast reviewing that one day. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, they go to the Krusty Krab, which and... has two people working there. And I don't know who is cooking burgers, because later on, you know, there's this old burger chef, but they weren't there, and Mr. Krabs doesn't really cook burgers. He just makes the recipe and hides it and makes money, spends little of it, and yeah. And Mr. Krab invented the the, uh, Krabby Patty, right? Oh, yeah. But in Camp Coral, it says that SpongeBob does, so... And what is Camp Coral? Camp Coral is the under years, as it's called, Camp Coral. But it's but it's made after the SpongeBob show. It, but it's show. placed before. Mm-hmm. All right. 
Uh... Oh, it brought a great smile to my face. That's something. It's very funny. That's why a lot of people like it. SpongeBob? Yeah. Absolutely. This episode you thought was funny too? So what happens then? So they, they first they turn down SpongeBob for a job. Mm-hmm. You know, and this they, is they ask him to get this futuristic I forget what it called, but like Spatula. Spatula, but like I forget what it was. And then he goes and actually buys it while they're being attacked by the sea of anchovies. Yeah, a bunch of anchovies show up in buses to eat. And this is something, you know, when we go to the spaghetti factory, we see it sometimes where they these buses will show up for tour groups or for whatever and fill up a whole restaurant with people. And I see it a lot when I'm on the road, when I'm on tour. When you go to a restaurant, you can tell a bus just showed up because it was just like hundreds of people in there. So, yeah, that's, I guess, the, the joke with all these anchovies showing up. So they're completely overwhelmed by the anchovies, but who comes to the rescue? SpongeBob. SpongeBob. He's always going to come to the rescue, and he's always going to save the day. He's going to do it more and more and more and more more. until he can't, and he's too old, which I don't think will ever happen because he's something like 13 or 40. (laughs) Well, you think he's 40? I think he's 40 or something like that. No, I think he's... No. He's a, he's, he's, um, a teen, he's a teenager. He's a teenager in the start of the show. Yeah. And then it's been te- like it's been a couple years since that show. Years, yeah. And then thirteen years plus twenty three years, which is uh thirty six years old. You think he's getting a job at thirteen? Because he's getting a job here in the first episode. I'd say he's probably closer to like sixteen or seventeen in this episode. Yeah. So yeah. then he's like, or maybe even older because he doesn't live with his parents. He doesn't. Um. So maybe like twenty. Maybe he's twenty. So twenty forty three. Maybe SpongeBob's. Maybe SpongeBob is living a parallel life to me. In his forty two. Yeah, maybe. You think? No. No. There are theories that there's different universes, mm-hmm. and Patrick Show and Cap Coral are different from the main show, like not just because they're different parts and timelines, but they're whole different things. Because Patrick's the same age in the Patrick Show, but he lives with his parents in a giant teacup. That's true. I hope there's like a a like crossover? a multi yeah like a multiverse crossover where they all have to battle. Like in the Flash. Yeah. And they made the movies are a different universe, too. Oh, yeah, they are. No, they aren't. No, they're not? It'll be interesting. We've got to watch the review of the movies, too, at some point, I think. Okay. Are, they're there, different, though. Is there anything else you want to talk about this for this episode? No. I, we do have another episode. There's three episodes in one. And our other one is called... The the reef the reef blower, and um. And what's interesting about this episode that we notice? There was no um voice. No dialogue. No voice dialogue. Yeah. And it was all about SpongeBob blowing this leaf, and in the end, he doesn't like succeed, but he thinks he does. Oh yeah, that's another thing about SpongeBob. He's always um, has a positive a- attitude. Mm-hmm. So like, even when he like 
makes a Krabby Patty wrong, he's still, like, he was versing uh, Poseidon, the king of Atlantis, in a battle once, which we'll get to that episode. And he, he Poseidon was making, like, lots of Krabby Patties, but then he was just making one at a time, but with so much love, as he says. Yes. Yeah. I think you're you're you bring up a great point there. I think a, a lot of what makes SpongeBob such a great show is that, you know, SpongeBob is very nice and positive. Like it's yes. not like, you you agree, Cam? Yes. Yeah, it's not like Bugs Bunny, who's kind of mean to some people, right? And, what? You know, Bugs Bunny like throws he, people off of cliffs. Yeah, like you know, no, he's, but he's still happy, but he does be mean. I answer. He's more cynical too, right? Like, wait, hey, wait, what's wait. up, Dak? Versus like, hey. You're not doing the laugh. Hey. Tundle. I have a better laugh than you. Hey. No. no. Hey. But it's still not it, but Tonto. Hey. He's never going to laugh. And we have one more episode to discuss. What episode is that, Dory? Tea in the Tree Dome. Tea in the Tree Dome. Now, what is important about this episode? I think that even though he says, who's this little sea squirrel? They knew each other. Because oh. in the movie, the, the new movie, mm-hmm. it, it shows her flying down and meeting SpongeBob in Camp Coral. Okay. So I think... Yeah. That there's alternate realities of SpongeBob. Oh my, okay, I want to explore this theory, but let's establish who we're talking about. This is the episode where SpongeBob SquarePants meets Sandy the Squirrel. Cheeks. Sandy Cheeks the Squirrel from Texas, who lives underwater in a uh, oxygen-filled dome. Yeah. Because she is a, a surface dweller. Yeah. Yep. Um, and But you are blowing my mind right now, because in this episode, they established that Spongebob sees Sandy for the first time, meets Sandy, and really wants to become Sandy's friend. Patrick is, of course, aiding in this one, um, and, uh, and helping encourage Spongebob to become Sandy's friend, and uh, you know, it leads to a hilarious scene where he goes to the house. But you're saying this is but one reality in the Spongebob multiverse. Yep. Multiverse, multiverse, multi. Okay, so in, you're saying in the movie they establish another first meeting, which happens in Camp Coral, yeah. which is the new SpongeBob spin-off series mm-hmm. of the show. Yeah, and we've already established that this is throwing a monkey wrench in a lot of the continuity, right? Because it's yeah. saying that all this stuff happened before this first season of SpongeBob. Yeah. I think we should also say that this season of SpongeBob that we have established is so iconic. There's mm-hmm. so many memes that have come from this and so many yeah. jokes and and famous scenes. Famous scenes exactly. Like ripped pants which we're yeah. going to discuss in a bit. We will discuss yeah. ripped pants in the next episode. Yeah. But th- no, so, in this same episode. No, because we're just this is oh, still yeah, just episode sure. 1. Is there anything else we want to add about this uh well, yeah. what, some funny, what are some funny parts to you about this episode? When um, Patrick comes in, he's like, everything's going to be okay, buddy. <gasps> A place in nowhere. <gasps> Why would they do that? <laughs> I think I nailed it. <laughs> you nailed that, too. Yeah. Yeah. It also established that SpongeBob and Patrick will dry out 
if they go to the surfaced area. But this isn't like later on when they start making them real creatures on the surface. This is they're still like well animated. No. In one part when they fully, fully dry out. Oh, that's true. And there's a sea star in the sea spawn. You're right. On the grass. You're right. When they fully dry out, they do. They do have the first appearance of of real world in the SpongeBob world. Yeah. This is one of my favorite episodes. I remember seeing this as one of the first ones I got to see. And I knew that this was not just a kid's show. That this was a show for all ages. And that adults could find funny stuff in it, too. Yes. Anything else you guys want to add? Cammy, did you add anything funny that you saw in this episode that you liked? No. No? Dorian, anything else you want to add? Uh, I think not. Okay, well, I think then we should sign off for our first ever episode of Washcloth Dave Oval Pants. Thank you for Uh, listening and and watching. And you'll see the next episode after this. We'll have another episode coming up very soon. Yeah. With episode two. Should we sing the theme song? No. Okay, we won't sing the theme song yet. We'll edit that in. we're, We're working on that. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Please get in touch with us through uh, Turned Out a Punk podcast for now. We'll have our own email address soon. And uh, watch SpongeBob. Anything you guys want to add? No. Uh, Bye. Bye.